I have a question for you all. What restores you? What gives you rest? I'm not necessarily thinking about the rest that comes from a good night's sleep or a welcome afternoon nap, as needed and as wonderful as those things can be. But rather, I'm thinking about that experience of being grounded, of being well-watered, of being at peace, as opposed to being stretched and stressed, dry and crispy, burned out. You know what I'm talking about, right? On this fun first Sunday in July, this summer day, I do want to acknowledge that we are living, you know this already, I'm telling you what you know, but that we are living in stressful times, right? And we have been for quite a while. Our democracy is in peril. Our environment is threatened like never before. There's division and incivility in our land. There are so many reminders all around us of how we humans are making a mess out of things. Though the virus numbers are pretty low these days, thankfully, we have been plodding through this pandemic for over two years now. And it's pretty clear that it's not going to just magically disappear. We have plenty of reasons, don't we, to be tired and frustrated as well as anxious and worried. That could be a new bumper sticker. If you're not stressed or worried, you're not paying attention. <laughs> so if you're carrying any of that kind of tension, take heart. There's nothing wrong with you. You have plenty of reasons to be worried or anxious or upset these days. But I want to encourage you to try not to live in that place because it's not good for you. And the truth is being worried and getting worked up about something probably isn't going to help you. In the long run, to do what you could to address the problem and fix it. Right? There can be a kind of paralysis that comes from too much worry and too much anxiety. So I'm going to tell you a personal cautionary tale. About a year ago at this time, I was feeling so hopeful about things. You may remember we had a Sunday when we sent off Sophia, our previous intern, and we met outside unmasked, except for a few people who wanted to wear masks. The virus numbers had gotten so low and people had gotten vaccinated, and it felt like this really hopeful time. It seemed like the worst of COVID was behind us. I was actually saying that. It seemed like better days were ahead. And then the Delta variant came on quickly. It seemed kind of like out of nowhere. And there were other bad news and things that started happening around our nation that summer that were just dispiriting, more dispiriting acts of violence and hatred. And then there were 
these wildfires, like the environment started getting our attention. There was drought and wildfires across the West last year and in places like Oregon, which never burns. And they were devastating. Like pretty much every summer over the last number of years, last year I was hoping to go off to Yellowstone National Park for some hiking and fishing. And I love getting out there in that big and open country and I make a point of going by myself. I love the solitude that I get out there. One guidebook that I have says that fishing in Yellowstone is like fishing in a church. And it does feel like that to me. But last summer's heat and fire put an end to those plans that I had made. I don't like to admit it, but I spent a certain amount of days moping around, mourning that that trip got pulled out from under my feet, it felt like. And even more so, I spent too much of last summer worrying about things, about what was going wrong in our country and about what was coming that we couldn't even see and worrying about how we as a congregation were going to address whatever this next phase was going to be. In some ways, now looking back on it, there were some moments that were great, but it felt kind of like a lost summer to me. I'm sure that there were some highlights. It wasn't terrible, but I did not get the sense of rest, of Sabbath. I didn't find the peace and goodness and abundance in myself or around me that this season invites us to find and inhabit. And I need that, and I expect you probably do too. So here's my caution. Don't do this. Don't be like me. Don't waste your summer on worrying and being anxious, especially about things that you don't have much control over. The summer is too short, and life is too short for that. I know you need this kind of time, and so do I. And the moral of my little story is not that you should never get discouraged or, on the other hand, that things are going to go to crap, so you should never allow yourself to get your hopes up. No, my mistake was that when my hopes were disappointed, I felt I spent too much time just wallowing in worry. And that wasn't particularly good for me, and it certainly didn't help anybody else. So what are we going to do about this? We who live in these times that are anxious and stressful times. The first thing I would say is you do have to acknowledge your feelings. It's good to mourn what you've lost. And I a minute ago said something about moping around and feeling bad about that. But you got to feel your feelings, especially if they're painful or uncomfortable or inconvenient, because those feelings are never wrong. They're coming from a deep place within, and they're telling us something we need to know and pay attention to. Those feelings are real, and they come as signs and warnings, and they ask us to pay attention and to give them their due. So if you're feeling anxious or disappointed or afraid, please 
do yourself a favor and allow yourself the space to feel the depth of those feelings because they may have something to tell you or to teach you. And second, when you're ready, find someone you can share those feelings with, someone you can trust who can sit with your discomfort and pain without trying to fix it or make it go away, without trying to make you feel better even, just so you can talk it through. That's the thing about pain and loss, right? The only way out is through. About a year ago, I read an essay on the opinion page of the New York Times. It was about the pandemic, and it was about a psychologist, and she wrote this article that was titled, We Need to Process What We've Lost. I was reading it the old-fashioned way on a paper newspaper, and so I actually took some old-fashioned scissors and clipped it out, and it sat on my desk, and then I stuck it to my bulletin board for the longest time, and I still have it somewhere. Because those words felt so true for that time. We need to process what we've lost. This is soul work, processing what we've lost. It's deep spiritual work. How do you think that spiritual giants like Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama got to be so wise and compassionate and then joyful? It's because they did their own work. They sat with their own pain and discomfort, theirs and others. They bore witness to suffering. They took it into meditation and prayer. They used their respective traditions to help hold them up and hold them accountable for this work they were doing. And then they found ways to address this suffering with other people out in the world. So when I listened to this book, the Book of Joy, the subtitle is Lasting Happiness in a Changing World. It made an impression on me. I was driving out to Utah when I was on sabbatical a year and a half ago. But I'm thinking, it's on my desk now. I'm going to read it again this summer. I'm going to read it for the first time. I listened to it before because this is what's on my mind. How do we find peace and joy in a time with so much tumult and upheaval. Any of you wondering about that too? Maybe, maybe you'll appreciate this book. Um, if you know anything about the Dalai Lama or about Archbishop Tutu, you know that they have not had peaceful or easy lives. As a young man, the Dalai Lama had to flee his Tibetan homeland with his people because of oppression from the Chinese communists, and they have been living in exile in India ever since. Desmond Tutu helped fellow blacks in South Africa through the worst years of apartheid, eventually leading them along with others to freedom, and then he led them through the truth and reconciliation process. Both of these men have borne witness to some of the worst of human behavior cruelty, hatred, violence. But when they get together, Archbishop Tutu would say, we were like schoolboys, cutting up, making jokes, laughing at each other. These two busy and 
really important men, spiritual icons of our time, they came together, they traveled great distances to meet in India and talk and create a book not about world peace, not about climate justice or climate change, not about so many different problems they could have talked about. But they came together to talk about and create a book about joy. This is a testament to the importance and the gravity of their subject. It's a testament to the fact that our capacity for joy, especially in challenging times, is a sign of our spiritual depth. And so this work of finding joy, they probably wouldn't even call it work, of letting joy come to you, being open to joy, I commend it to you. I know from my own experience as well, and I know you do too, the bitter disappointment that can come when something that I wanted, something I hoped for and longed for, doesn't come to pass. And who among us hasn't had that happen over these last couple of years? Something you looked forward to that was interrupted or canceled or changed. Archbishop Tutu speaks to this in the reading we heard this morning. Despair can come from deep grief, he says, but it can also be a defense against the risks of bitter disappointment and shattering heartbreak. Resignation and cynicism are easier, more self-soothing postures that do not require the raw vulnerability and tragic risk of hope. To choose hope is to step forward firmly into the howling wind bearing one's chest to the elements, knowing that in time the storm will pass. To choose hope, he's saying, is to risk being disappointed. And what's the alternative? To live lives of resignation and complaint and worry? Who wants to do that? At the start, I asked you what restores you and what gives you rest. Do you know? I hope you do. And I hope you're getting enough of that these days, but I want to challenge you to try to get a little more of whatever it is that feeds your soul and makes your heart glad. Because to live open-heartedly in our troubled world, we each need to be able to find that kind of grounding that peace, that joy, not way off in the future, not in that great by and by that some people talk about, but in the painful and messy and often beautiful, if we will notice, present moment. Anybody want to name out loud right now something that, they, that brings them joy, big or small? Nature. That, nature. The ocean. Babies. Babies. Music. Family. Church family. Thank you. I would say to that gathering with you all on Sunday morning, wherever you are. 
remember what you said and make sure you get that, okay? I was talking with you, the, uh, one of you the other day, and I mentioned to this person that I see myself as an introvert. And this person seemed to be surprised. And she said, but you seem to enjoy being with people. And I said, I do. But I've learned that when I need to be restored, I get that usually by being alone. And I heard this years ago, somebody described the easiest way to determine if you're an introvert or an extrovert is to just ask the question, where do I go when I need to be restored? Do you want to be surrounded by people or do you want to be alone? And that will tell you, your answer to that will tell you whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. And of course, we're all somewhere on a spectrum, right? It's not either or. I love our Sunday mornings here, the quiet moments and the connections that we share, and I love it when we have a boisterous coffee hour. And we'll have those back someday. But some of you know this about me, by the time that I leave here on Sunday, I'm usually ready for some quiet. But for some of you, you may just be getting started. When you leave here, you might be looking for more people to connect with. And my point is, we're not all the same. And our diversity is good. And it's essential to know yourself, how you tick, what it is that you need. And then make sure you're getting enough of that. I do hope that just being here, coming to church, and being part of our weekly gathering for worship is good for your soul. It certainly is for mine. And at the same time, at this time of year, I find myself, I quoted this to somebody after church last Sunday, this lovely poem by Emily Dickinson, which begins this way. She wrote, some keep the Sabbath going to church. I keep it staying at home with a bobolink for a chorister and an orchard for a dome. There are so many ways, you know, to keep the Sabbath, to touch into those depths that will nourish and sustain you and will soothe your soul. What I'm wanting from this summer is some spaciousness. Time to just be to move more slowly, to think long thoughts. And what about you? What do you want from this summer? What do you need from this summer? One thing I wish for all of us and for our world is some more joy. Wouldn't things go better all around if we could just be more joyful people? It's infectious, you know? If you have it, other people pick up on it. And the way to find this joy, the Archbishop and the Dalai Lama say, is to open our hearts and care for others as much as we care for ourselves. Because when we do this, we'll see there are others who have problems that are even bigger than our own. We'll see that we are connected to one another and we have more in common than we know that this will help us to live with more love and less fear and more gratitude and less worry. 
So here began a couple more of the archbishop's words about joy. Discovering more joy does not, I'm sorry to say, save us from the inevitability of hardship and heartbreak. In fact, we may cry more easily, but we will laugh more easily too. Perhaps we are just more alive. Yet as we discover more joy, we can face suffering in a way that ennobles rather than embitters. We have hardship without becoming hard. We have heartbreak without being broken. This is the way of open-hearted and courageous living that is needed, that is so needed these days, isn't it? And this makes me think of a hymn which has been also in my heart these days. It's an old one. It was written back in 1930 during the Depression in the time between two world wars. Not exactly an easy time in human history either, right? This hymn is a plea and a prophetic call to the holy to give us strength and wisdom and courage for the facing of this hour and for the living of these days. And so may this be our prayer in these days that we have been given. Source of love and wonder on your people, pour out your blessing and your power. Help us to have open eyes and open hearts, ready to give help, ready to receive it, ready to sing out your joy and praise. And our joy and our praise for the living of these days. Amen. Let's sing that hymn now. God of grace and God of glory. It's number 115.